Let's take a minute and pray again, just before we look to God's word together. Would you pray with me? As we gather together this morning, our Heavenly Father, after a stormy night, we thank you for the rays of sun this morning, shine so brightly. Thank you, Father, for each other. Thank you for the men, the women, the young men, young ladies, boys and girls here this morning. And those of us who know each other, those of us who may be just now getting acquainted, and we offer to you our praise. We thank you this morning for being our God. You made us, you made everything around us. You're our creator, and you are our Lord. And Lord Jesus, as we have just been singing about, we praise you that you loved us and gave yourself for us. Thank you so much for all that you have done to bless our lives, to draw us to yourself, to show us our need for salvation from sin. Thank you that you gave yourself as our sacrifice, that you paid the full price for our sins when you died on Calvary, on the cross. And we praise you that you emerged victorious over death as you rose and you live today and we worship you and we love you and we serve you. You intercede for us. Thank you that we are not on our own. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit who is in us and walks with us as we walk with you to guide us, to teach us, to convict us, challenge us, to shape us and change us. And we thank you for your precious word. What an amazing gift you've given us by speaking to us and giving us your word in writing and that we can actually have copies of it in our hands today and that we can understand it and that it gives us your will and shows us yourself and reveals to us how to live and how to grow. So we thank you for that gift as well. We do need your help. We cannot understand spiritual truths without your guidance, and so we ask you for that guidance today. And I ask you that you would enable me to speak clearly, to explain the meaning, and also make application to our lives from your word that will accomplish what you intend for us. Lord, as uh, both David and Paul said, cause your word to run swiftly today. May your word go where you want it to go. Accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish and do so effectively and efficiently in our lives. And also we pray that what happens here would spill over, would shine out into this Highland Park community, to the people who live near us and that we work with and cross paths with day to day. Help us, I pray, to be messengers and channels of the hope that is in Christ. So thank you for these gifts. Help us to be good stewards of them and uh, open our hearts to what you have for us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to open our Bibles today, and we're going to look together at the book of Titus. The book of Titus will be in chapter 2. If you do not happen to bring a Bible with you, there's probably one in uh, one of the pews there, 
And I just looked it up. It's page 828, if that's helpful for you. Page 828, because the book of Titus is not always easy to find. But if you want to look at page 828, you can do that, or some of you might have it on your device, and that's a little bit easier for you to look up there. So we're in Titus chapter 2. And uh, when I started here, in actually back in January, I started preaching through this little letter from the Apostle Paul to Titus. And we've, we've just been working our way through it. We took a couple of weeks off. Um, for Palm Sunday and Easter, but we're returning to uh, this here today. And I would like you to, to think about um, two years from now. That might be a little bit hard, but just imagine a few, a few aspects of your life two years from now, especially if, if you're part of this church. Uh, how old will you be? Just think about that, how old you will be. Think about what your, what your family might look like, if you, especially if you have children. They'll be a couple of years older. Maybe there'll be some transitions, maybe some milestones, maybe some, some changes. Maybe you can't predict or don't know what your work life might look like, but if you work someplace, there could be some changes there, maybe some that you even anticipate or that you hope for. Two years from now, what might that look like? Now, I'd like you to think about, about this church, about Northridge. And again, those of you here know that I am an interim pastor, which means that my role here is to encourage and, and guide and help this church move forward and especially prepare for one day when you will call a pastor, your next pastor. So, so think about two years from now, what it might look like. Think about maybe some people who, who have been reached through your Ministry, your testimony, your conversations, our prayers, people that you know, people right around our community here that might even be, uh, have trusted in Christ, baptized, following Jesus, learning and growing. Maybe there will be some improvements around the facilities and the property at that time. And, and maybe, maybe before then, but, but hopefully by then, possibly by then, I'll say it that way, you will be ready to call a pastor. Now, two years might seem like a long time for some, for that to happen. Maybe you envision that happen more quickly, but I think realistically that's a reasonable time frame to think about. Part of my role, as I said, and the role of Baptist church planters is to, to help bring the church to the place where you are ready to begin that process of searching for your next pastor. And as I came to the text that we are in today, I thought this really applies in that way. Because this can guide your thinking. This can, this can inform the process. This can help you to prepare for that time. And it might seem a little untimely. It might seem a little bit premature, but... This is our next text here in this book of Titus. And so we come to this text, and it's about the kind of man that Titus should be in his role as a leader in the church. So I think this is relevant now, and I think there's some reasons for that. I do want to encourage you to start praying for that person, if you haven't already. Start praying for the person who one day will be the next pastor of Northridge Baptist Church. He is somewhere now. He and probably his family are somewhere right now. They're out there. 
And you can be praying for them. And even these thoughts can guide you as you pray for them. These are helpful to have in mind as, again, guides or even criteria when you consider who should shepherd the flock at Northridge. There are young men here. There are boys and and young men and young adult men here who may one day have the thought, you know, I wonder if God might want me in ministry. I had that thought as a teenage boy. I wonder if God wants me in vocational ministry, if God wants me to be a pastor. If if you haven't already had that thought, that thought may come, and, and if it does, I think it's good for you to be aware of these qualities. This is the kind of man that God uses in that way, and you may aspire to that. These are ways to pray for pastors that you know. Some of you know pastors. You have friends or even family members or or you, you know of pastors in our area, in the Des Moines region. And you can pray for them, and we should pray for them. And so these are ways to pray for those pastors that you know. I'm just giving you reasons why I think this text can be relevant for all of us here today. Another one is that some of you may move. You may move to another, another area, another area in, in Iowa or far away. And, and this describes, this text describes the kind of man that you would want to lead the church that you might one day become part of. So you might want to come back to, to these verses. And I would say that these are relevant to all leaders in the church. These are relevant for me. These are relevant for anybody who's in a role of leadership in the church setting because that's what, that's what Titus was. So I'm, I'm calling this the profile of a healthy church's pastor. And we're keeping uh, with the idea of, of health. Paul used a word repeatedly in this letter to Titus that, that means health or healthy. It indicates soundness, wholeness. And we will see it again in our text here today. Now this is talking about the man Titus, but the health of a church depends on, on the leadership in that church in many ways. The health of a church depends on what it is being fed and how it is being led. Healthy churches hear messages from God's word from their, their shepherd or their shepherds that, that generate life and produce growth in the body that result in a healthy church. Healthy churches have unity, and that unity is built not around having similar opinions or, or personal convictions or lifestyle choices, but, but around truth. There's unity around truth. And healthy churches are filled with people who encourage each other to live by the truths that they hear in the teaching and preaching of God's word that the shepherd, the pastor, faithfully presents. So a pastor who preaches and lives the word will likely have a church that learns and lives it too. A pastor who is learning and living the word will likely be be partnered with a church that also learns and lives, and there's a mutual influence there. So they go hand in hand. So look with me at Titus chapter 2, and Paul is giving Titus instructions about how to teach and disciple and, and guide and train the people in Crete. And he says in verse 6, likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Now we talked about that a few weeks ago, and addressed 
young men. But then he continues on in verse 7, and it almost sounds like he's still talking about young men, but, but he, he then turns it to, from the, the third person talking about people to the second person where he's addressing Titus. So now he's talking to Titus in verse 7 when he says, In all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. So, so do you see that? Do you hear that where Paul shifts from just talking generally about other people and, and young men, but then he points it now to Titus. And in doing so, he, he refers to this idea of doctrine, so that has to do with teaching. So he's talking about Titus's role as a leader in, in the church, as a preacher of the word. And in doing so, he, he outlines, I think, for us some criteria for understanding the kind of man that God uses to generate and, and to produce life and health in a church. Now, we know that comes from God. That ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit. But God does use individuals, doesn't he? And he uses leaders to do that. So, let's talk about the profile of a healthy church's pastor. The first one is not related to his theology. It's not related to his sermons, but his daily life. I'm going to give each of these a description. So here's the first one. He lives transparently. We see that in the first part of verse 7. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. And let me explain why I use that terminology of living transparently. When Paul says showing yourself, he's using a word that means to, to present. To present yourself. To, to put out in front of people is the idea. But this is not just something that, that Titus is aware of. Oh yeah, people are watching my life. But the idea of this word is, is a very active word. It means that, that Titus is consciously, intentionally doing this. Showing yourself. It's the idea of you yourself, Titus, you do this. You make sure this is happening. So he's not just saying, hey Titus, people are watching you, so, so you need to live a certain way. No, he's saying, Titus, you live in a way so that others can observe your life. Why? Well, he says, showing yourself a pattern of good works. You know what a pattern is. A template, a guide, something that you follow. So now he's telling Titus that his life in front of other people should be something that the people who watch his life and see his life can actually follow would want to follow. It doesn't mean that the leader in the church is perfect or up on a pedestal, but the people that he shepherds should be able to observe him in daily life, see that he walks with God, watch how he functions with his family, observe how he responds in trials, even see what happens when things are going well or when things are not going well. And see how the truth works in his life and how the grace of God motivates him and, and shapes the kind of person that he is. Doesn't mean that he unloads all of his sins and sinfulness in front of everybody in just kind of a raw 
exposure of, of lust and pride and here's what's going on in my mind that you people don't know about. doesn't mean that, that people have to get up front and, and dump everything in front of others in that way. It's really for the purpose of pointing in the right direction, but there is an element of transparency because pastors are human beings and they do have struggles and they face trials and they get weary and frustrated and angry and all those things. But in that, in living out in front of others, people see, you know what, there are pressures and there are struggles and there are weaknesses, but here's how God's grace works in that person's life. Here's how truth is lived out in an individual's life. And it is a reality of ministry that people in Christian leadership do live before others. And there's a pressure in that. We've felt that pressure. If you've ever been in ministry, there is a pressure that comes with knowing that other people are watching your life. We call it the fishbowl experience, right? People are always watching you. And it is a reality, especially if you have a family. And sometimes church members have high expectations for pastors and pastors' wives and, and their children. Sometimes those expectations are unrealistic or even unbiblical. So church members have to be careful about having the wrong kind of expectations on a pastor and his family. But on the other hand, it is a pressure, but it is also an amazing opportunity. So again, not as a perfect individual, but as a growing Christian, a pastor not only studies the Bible to tell others about it, but studies the Word of God to process it internally. As I teach preaching to students, I urge them, don't bypass your own heart. There is a danger in learning the Bible and then communicating it to others, a danger of bypassing your own life. Don't, don't do that. Make sure you process it yourself. And that's what a Christian leader does. That's what a pastor does. So there is this opportunity to, to grow and to model what the Christian life looks like. And a leader in the church has to be ready to embrace this. To not only be conscious of it, to be willing, to be intentional in doing so, to live transparently. Now that leads to a second characteristic that builds on the first one, but I think there is a a distinct idea here in verse 7. So he says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of of good works. So so he, he lives transparently. But along with that, there is a consistency in how he lives. So we're talking about this profile of a healthy church's pastor. So he knows his life as an example. He knows he should be living in a way that others can observe the the word of God and the grace of God at work in his life. And then it gets very specific. In all things, he says. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. And, and in those ideas, he's, he's getting into the details of life and saying, in every area of your life, you should be doing good. You should be living what you teach. Titus, you should not only be a preacher, but you should also be a practitioner. The all things is everything that Paul's been telling Titus to tell others, right? All these qualities, all these attitudes, all these ways of of responding to other people and treating other people and making good choices and living wisely. And and good works, again, it's just the, the details, the daily 
acts of life. I just want to point out a couple of examples here of of that. Uh, Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Look at chapter 3 right here in Titus and verse 1. So again, Paul's telling Titus to teach the people in Crete certain things, and he says in chapter 3, verse 1, remind them, so Titus, you remind these people, these Christians, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. So there's that idea of good works tied to how they relate to government authorities. So there's a very specific area of life, how we relate to government authorities, whether it's city, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's state government, whether it's our United States government, those in authority that God has allowed to be there and arranged to be in authority. He says we, we need to submit to them. We should have respect for them and obey them. So that's tied to this idea of every good works. That's just one little example. Drop down to verse 14. So chapter 3, verse 14. And, and he says, let our people also learn to maintain good works. So Paul's emphasizing this. Hey, keep telling the people. Remember, it's learn and live, right? Not just learn. Not just know the truth, but live it out. So learn and live. Look at verse 14. Let our people learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. So there he's telling Titus to tell the people to watch out for people who have needs. Could be spiritual, could also be material. Help them, notice, and get involved and and provide assistance. So again, there's just another example, how you treat people in need. So circling back to, to the verses we're looking at, so he says, Titus, you in all things show yourself to be a pattern of good works, and those would be just two examples, and there's certainly many more. So a church leader isn't just laying out the requirements. He lives according to the normal expectations of a believer. And a pastor isn't just preaching these things, but he is transformed by the truth and by God's grace, and he makes changes in his life, and he adjusts how he interacts with others to fit what God's Word says, even when it's uncomfortable or costly, is what we see here. So pastors need to be learning and living too. Now, again, this might seem a little bit removed from you, okay? So I'm going to ask you to, again, put those thinking caps on and stay engaged and think, all right, this might be something that affects us in the future. This might be something that affects somebody else that I know that I could pray for. So just, just process them in that way and stay with me as I walk with you through another, another principle here that's connected to this that I think is very important. And I want to take a few minutes this morning and emphasize to you, and it's this idea that we're seeing in, in, these, in these principles that, that a pastor needs to be learning and living also. A pastor's personal life is extremely important. A pastor's personal life and spiritual growth, in fact, is more important than his sermons, more important than his pastoral care more important than his ability to oversee an organization like a church, his personal life. And I want to take you a few places. So I'm going to ask you to go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. A man needs to be at a point of maturity before he's ready for ministry. Personal life precedes public ministry. So look at me at Acts chapter 20. This is where... Paul, 
before he heads back to uh, Jerusalem, where he's going to eventually be arrested and sent off to Rome, stops and calls for the leaders in the Ephesian church to meet him near the coast so he can have some time with them, encourage them, and that's what Acts chapter 20 is all about. Paul meeting with those Ephesian elders, and I want you to just look with me at what he says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts 20 verse 28. So he's talking to uh, earlier back in verse 17, they're called elders. In verse 28, they're called overseers and shepherds, which is the word that means pastor. So, so these, are, these are leaders in the church. These are what we would call pastors. So look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There's a lot there we could talk about regarding church and ministry, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. He says, take heed, which means to be alert, to be on guard, like a guard standing outside of a fortress or maybe a bank that might be vulnerable to thieves thieves, uh, or the the secret service that uh, stands outside the president's limousine when he's when he's exiting the limo and going into a building and secret service are standing out there and they're scanning, watching for any, any threats. That's what this word means, take heed. It means to be on guard. It means to be watching. It means to be alert to danger. So he says to these, these pastors, hey, you guys need to be on guard. But notice what he says, first of all, before he talks about their ministry, what does he talk about? Yourselves, doesn't he? Yourselves. So you need to be alert and on guard about yourselves and the flock. But their personal lives were the first priority. And in the next verse, he says, there there are threats. There are savage wolves that will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there were threats to the church, but he he alerts them to the fact that there are threats to them personally. And many times those come from within our own hearts, the lusts and the pride that come from within so, so he tells these, these leaders, be on guard. Here is the principle. A leader in the church must guard his personal life in order to be able to perform public ministry. A leader in the church must guard his personal life in order to perform public ministry. Then look at another text. This one's in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, here Paul, of course, is encouraging another man in ministry named Timothy. And look what he says in verse 12, 1 Timothy 4, 12, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers, which is something that we are seeing back in Titus as well, right? So Paul says the same thing to Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Don't give anyone a reason to discount your ministry because of your immaturity. That's what he's saying. But, on the other hand, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation to doctrine. So in verse 12, you see he's addressing Timothy's personal life, isn't he? Then in verse 13, he's talking about his public ministry. In verse 14, he's probably talking about Timothy's ordination. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now verse 15, back to his personal life. Meditate on these things. 
Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Then look at verse 16. Take heed to yourself. I think Paul likes to say this, doesn't he? He thinks it's pretty important. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. So to the Ephesian elders, he said, take heed to yourselves and the church. So personal life, then pastoral ministry. Here he says to Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. So personal life, then your preaching and teaching ministry. Take care of yourself first. Be on guard. Continue in them. For in doing this, doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. The order is important. Yourself first, then your ministry is what Paul is emphasizing here. And he talks about several areas. I'll just, again, point back to them there in, in verse 12. So word is probably just his, his speech, his conversation. Pastors are talkers. Pastors are speakers. We have, we say a lot, don't we? He says you've got to be careful in what you say. Not only when you preach, but in your conversation. Guard your mouth. Make sure that when you speak truth, you speak it in love. Conduct, it's what people around you observe. A pastor's behavior should enhance his message and not contradict it. Love, he says there in verse 12, which is unselfishness. Live unselfishly. Give. Pour your life out. Be willing to sacrifice personal comfort in order to provide what others need as a man in ministry. Uh, Spirit, some translations include the word spirit there, which emphasizes not only actions, but attitude. In faith, he says. That's, That's personal trust in God. So not only do pastors and Christian leaders need to urge others to have faith and to, to practice a life of faith, but, but Christian leaders must also have a personal life of faith. A man who's leading in the church needs to be having personal time with God, to have expressions of faith by reading the Word of God, what we would call personal devotions. A, a man who leads in the church needs to have a time of prayer, A life of prayer, of trusting God through prayer, calling on God in prayer. He needs to worship God, just like we all need to sing our praises and engage our hearts in praise to God. A a leader is not just a moderator in the meetings of the church. He is a worshiper, and he needs to live in community as well and have a life of faith. And then purity is, is very important also. This is probably referring to moral purity. In fact, you can see in chapter 5, verse uh, verse 1, Paul said, Do not rebuke an older man, exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers. Verse 2, older women as mothers. And then he tells Timothy in chapter 5, verse 2, Treat younger women as sisters with all purity. And he's instructing Timothy to be careful about his moral purity and his relationships with women in the church. So Paul here is saying a pastor has to watch over himself and keep himself relationally and sexually pure. So again, the emphasis here is the importance of a leader's personal life, his spiritual walk, his individual choices, his life of faith, his integrity is essential. Now go one more place. This one's a little more obscure if you can find the little book of 3rd John, 3rd John. So if you can find James and then 1st and 2nd Peter, 
And then there's 1 John, a few pages, 2 John, and then 3 John, right before Jude, then Revelation. 3 John, look at verse 2. 3 John, verse 2. He says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, verse 1 tells us that John is writing to a man named Gaius. We don't know exactly what he did, but, but evidently he was a leader in, in the life of the church, maybe a pastor, maybe an elder, some type of leader because John's addressing him and giving him guidance for those believers. So we might say he, he was a leader, maybe a pastor. And John says, I've been praying for you, and I'm praying that you would prosper. That's like when you start out an email and you say, hey, I hope you're doing well. That's what he's doing. I mean, he, he's sincere, but that's what he's doing. He's saying, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're prospering in all things, and I'm praying for that. And that you would be in health. And he's sincerely saying, I hope you are physically well. I hope your body is strong. Just as your soul prospers. He says, I'm praying and I trust that you are spiritually thriving. The implication from that is that Paul was praying for this Christian leader that he would be generally doing well, that he would be in good health, and that he would be thriving spiritually in his soul. So, what I'm drawing from that is the fact that it is important for Christian leaders and for pastors to have a healthy life and a thriving soul, to be thriving spiritually. Again, personal life is what produces public ministry and generates strength and growth and health in a church. Now, let's go back to uh, Titus. And, and while we're going there, let me just add in something for all of us to keep in mind as we think about a pastor's personal life and these, these criteria, this profile of a healthy church's pastor. I don't think this is happening here. I don't sense that, that's happening in this church. But I have seen church situations where people were in a hurry to get a pastor in place. And they did not go through a process of due diligence to really get to know a man. It is important to take time to get to know someone. It's better to take your time to get to know a potential candidate as a pastor in the process leading up to his coming, rather than to make a hasty decision and regret it later. It's very hard to extract yourself from that. So I just encourage you to pray, to seek, and to wait for a man who has a solid reputation for having his personal life in order. So character precedes message. Personal life is what lays the foundation for public ministry. But having the right message is also essential to this healthy pastor, healthy church combination. So we come to another characteristic back in Titus chapter 2 of a pastor of a healthy church. His message is marked by integrity. And we see this in verse 7, about halfway through the verse He says, in doctrine, integrity. In doctrine, integrity. Doctrine is his teaching. 
So it's what I'm doing now. It's, it's a pastor, a Christian leader in a church setting, and he's teaching the Word. He's explaining the Bible. Uh, we also see what he says there in verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That's probably also referring to his teaching and preaching. This is where we get the idea of healthy. You see the word sound there in verse 8? That's the word that means healthy. That's the word that, that Paul has used repeatedly already in this text, in this, in this letter. And it means to, uh, or, or the word integrity, the word sound means healthy. The word integrity means to be pure, to be undiluted like metal that is pure. It's not an alloy. It is unmixed with impure or tainted material. Some translations include the word incorruptibility also in this verse, and that's a similar idea. We, we could say that Paul is telling Titus, hey, you need to make sure that the content of your teaching is correct. That's, that's possible. But the sources I've looked at in connection with this verse indicate that, that Paul is probably more addressing, again, Titus's attitude about his preaching and teaching. In other words, it's again this idea of being on guard, being careful. So, in other words, this is an attitude of carefulness and caution, guarding against allowing wrong ideas, worldly attitudes, and false doctrine to taint the pure message of God's word and gospel truth. So, so it's Titus making sure that he personally is not led astray, that he does not succumb to the winds of doctrine Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. That, that he himself is not able to be corrupted by wrong ideas. And remember, this is this Cretan society. This is this ungodly environment in which these people lived and where Titus lived and ministered. So there were all kinds of false ideas and philosophies and influences. And he's saying that, that Titus did not allow himself and his teaching to become infected by these. It's the kind of person who is a guardian of gospel truth. And that's the kind of pastor a healthy church has. One who is a guardian of gospel truth and does not mix popular ideas or even his own opinions with the teaching of God's word. And he's not preaching to be approved. He's not, he's not preaching to, to gather a crowd. He's not doing it to become a hero, to be elevated. He's preaching unadulterated truth because he's convinced of it himself. This is true. This is right. And he remains loyal to that truth for the duration of his life and his ministry. In fact, look at what Paul says back in, in chapter 1, verse 9, where he is talking about the kind of men who, who Titus should select as elders in the individual cities. Look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound, there's that word healthy, doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So he says this, this man in spiritual leadership, a pastor of a church, needs to hold tightly to these truths of the word of God and not give in to the pressures to let them go. Paul said the same thing in 2 Timothy 1.13 to Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words. 
So a pastor is not, does not just hold a position of leadership in an organization. He is a preacher and teacher of the word. And it's not just an academic exercise or because he enjoys research and maybe is a helpful or, or effective communicator. Okay? It's not just mechanical. It's not just academic. What this is showing us is that the Christian leader, the pastor of a healthy church, has his own personal anchor points in the truths of God's word. He is anchored to the truth of God's word himself. He is committed. He is convinced. He believes. And he is holding fast to the truth. So it's not just getting up and relating the results of his research for that week. No, he's, he's preaching what he himself is convinced of because it is in truth the word of God. And I can say to you that a, a pastor who labors in the word is something that God himself commends very highly. In fact, we won't go there, but in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul says that elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. So pastors who are in the position of leadership are worthy of recognition and support. And then he says, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. And the word labor is a Greek word that means to work to the point of exhaustion. Anybody do that this past week? Anybody come to the end of the day or the end of the week and you're just like, you know what, I am so tired. Yep, okay, you know what that feels like, don't you? So it may be physical labor, it may be maybe mental stress, but you're just drained. That's what that word means. It means that you don't feel like you can do any more. That's the word Paul chose to use of pastors who study the Bible and preach it well. They labor in the word. So they study the truths and they labor to deliver it effectively. Word and doctrine. And God honors men who do that. And there's a rightful honor. Not elevating them on a pedestal, but having a respect and appreciation and a supportiveness for what they do. Again, I know, as you all think about the future and think in terms of the kind of person that one day will be, the next shepherd, the next leader, the next pastor in this ministry, you want somebody who can preach the word. I, I, I trust that you want somebody who doesn't just do it academically or mechanically, but, but has a heart and a love and a passion and is personally committed to the word of God and is willing to invest that labor and perform those hours of work of studying the word. I know when I was pastoring full-time, it was not unusual to spend 15, 12 to 15 hours preparing a Sunday morning sermon. And more than that, if, it, if I preached other times, Sunday night or another time during the week, it takes a lot of time. And, and I know there are different ideas and different thoughts about pastors being how, to what level they're supported by the church and whether they are fully vocational and not working another job or bivocational, working a job as well as working for the church. I know there are different ideas about that. I just want to say, as you think forward, as you think ahead to the kind of person that you will bring to be your shepherd, I would say it is a huge blessing. It is a great blessing. It was a great blessing to me as a pastor to be supported by our church so that I could dedicate the, the bulk 
of my labor and my week and my intense effort to studying the word through the week so that I could, on the Lord's day, come prepared to feed the flock, to deliver the word to that flock. And I just encourage you to think about that. Keep those thoughts in mind as you look forward and, and prepare and pray for those days. It's a blessing if a church can support a pastor so that it frees him to dedicate his days to labor in the word. And I would say that it, is a, it can be a key factor in the health and the strength and the growth of a church. There's another description of, of the teaching that we find here um, in verse 7. So Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, in doctrine, showing integrity. And then he uses the word reverence here. Reverence. And this is a word that we saw back in chapter 2, verse 2, uh, where it says that older men should be reverent. And I know we think of reverence in terms of like showing respect. But the word probably has the idea of being worthy of respect, of earning respect, of being respectable. So, so this is describing how this man delivers his message. So the content is, it is doctrinally correct, and he himself has integrity because he's committed to the pure word of God and delivers a pure message, but also he does so in a way that is respectable. Here's some ways I think this, this affects how we think about people who preach. This describes a man who does not convey arrogance, does not have a sense of entitlement about the privilege of preaching. Um, it means he doesn't treat the ministry of the word casually or flippantly. He has a healthy awe of the position and the work of the ministry of the word. It includes humility. He, he's respectable. He, he cultivates respect, not just for him as a person, but again as the messenger of the word of God by being humble. He doesn't talk down to people. He doesn't scold people or berate people. I like to think of it as speaking as one friend to another. We're on the journey, both of us, all of us on the journey of growing in Christ and, and moving toward glory. And God has given me the privilege and opportunity to, to encourage and teach and guide and, and help people along the way. So it's not a superiority. There's not a, a condescending approach. But there's a, an equality, a camaraderie, we might say. Uh, again, he says there in verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned. It's true to the word, and that kind of summarizes it all. So a, a healthy church is built up when a man of integrity delivers the unadulterated truth with humility and reverence to the ears and hearts of the people who receive it and are transformed by it. He preaches the word accurately, clearly, fully, and lovingly, and that's the source of what we learn and live, isn't it? Now, as you look at verse 8, you see that Paul ends this verse with a different kind of, of phrasing here. He's been giving descriptions. Now he changes the way he words it a little bit. At the end of verse 8, he says, that that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. And when you see the word that, it indicates the intended outcome of what precedes it. 
So, so through all these instructions, Paul's been giving to Titus to pass on to the people. He's been giving them the motivation. He's been telling them what the outcome should be. Uh, you, you see it back in, um, in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, talking about the older women teaching the younger women. Verse 5, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So there's the intended outcome. You see it in verse 10, which we'll get to, Lord willing, next time at the end of verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. He's saying this is the outcome. So, so it's not about the individuals so much as it is about a grander, greater cause, isn't it? God, his name, his reputation, and the gospel. And, and that's what we find here. So, so Paul gives the reason for Titus to follow these instructions to him as a leader in the church. And this final characteristic of, of the pastor of a healthy church is that his personal life and his public ministry will actually guard the credibility of of the gospel. I think he's referring to everything he just said directed to Titus about his personal life and about his public ministry. This recognizes there are people who oppose the truth. There are people who are hostile to the gospel and they are looking for reasons to criticize and point out inconsistencies and call it hypocrisy. He says opponents, adversaries, those who take an opposing position. Are there people in your neighborhood, people where you work, people around this church and this community who take an opposing position to the Bible being the word of God and God being the creator of all and, and Jesus being Lord and that he died for our sins and rose again and the only way to be saved is to trust in him and have eternal life? Are there people who don't think that way? and possibly even would have a level of, of hostility toward those ideas, there are. And many are looking for reasons to criticize and condemn what we profess and what we preach. But he says to the, to the leader, he says, live this way and preach this way and minister this way so that they will not find anything to say. Anything substantial, anything significant. Again, not that you're perfect, but they can't find anything substantial to point out to say, well, there's this glaring inconsistency or contradiction or hypocrisy in your life. They can't find anything bad to say about you. It means the leader doesn't give the enemy of the gospel ammunition to use against it. Instead of, instead of prompting criticism... A pastor's life actually mitigates it. It's like removes any, any cause, any basis for criticism. And this is important, not just so that a church will avoid the problems and the, the anguish of having a leader whose life contradicts what he preaches, and that is hard. And there are those who have turned away from the faith, those who have strayed morally, and that is sad. And that does cause embarrassment and heartache and inconvenience. But, but the ultimate goal is to guard the credibility of the gospel. That's what's at stake. And isn't that true for all of us, right? Not just for leaders. All of us, our lives, have the potential to support and enhance and establish the credibility of the gospel that we profess and that we publish or to give people a reason and a basis for being critical of it. So we all have to be on guard in that way. This shows the power 
of a consistent life. Our lives have the potential to actually enhance and build and guard the credibility of the gospel. I would like to encourage you with four actions to take based on this profile of a healthy church's pastor. These are simple. Are you ready? The first one is pray. And I want to encourage you to pray for God to prepare you as a church, as individuals, to receive and support and be shepherded by this kind of pastor. I know we want to pray for that person and for God to bring that person, but would you pray for yourselves that God would prepare you to receive and support and be shepherded by this kind of pastor? So pray. Number two, wait. I have sad news, and this is just reality. And I don't mean to discourage you. There is a dearth of pastors right now. I mean, that's just the reality. There are many, many more churches looking for pastors than there are men who are ready and available to be pastors of churches. And I see that, and I hear that from other people who do what I do and who are in touch with, with church ministry right now, and that's just a reality. And I'm praying, and people are praying for God to put labors into the harvest, and I'm involved in training young men to be pastors, and, and where I preach, I encourage young men to think about being pastors, not just young men, any men, but encouraging young men to be open to that. So, so I say that not to be discouraging, but just, just to kind of give a little bit of a dose of reality that this can take time. And it's best to wait on the Lord, isn't it? To wait on the Lord. Not just wait on, okay, we ever going to get somebody, but wait on the Lord. And, and be patient and fill the gaps with willing people. And take the steps of growth that God has for you as a church at this time. And then find someone who fits the criteria that the Bible gives us. So wait on the Lord and be patient in that. So pray, wait. Number three, cultivate. Cultivate. I'm looking at lots of guys and young men. And who knows what God might have for you. But as, as parents, as adults in the church setting, do what you can to help our young people grow in these qualities. Again, these are just good qualities for anybody, aren't they? So, so do what you can as parents, as, as adults, as, as older, even like a big brother, big sister type of person, whether you're related or not in this church setting, to, to encourage and cultivate these qualities in younger people. To not only know the Bible, but to live it out. To have that consistency of learning and living. And then number four, and this is for young men, boys and young men, if God ever puts it in your heart to serve him with your life, maybe as your life's work, maybe one day you have the thought, hmm, I wonder if I should be in ministry as my life's work. Yield. There's the word, yield. Yield your heart. Just say, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, I'm not sure if I see myself doing that. I don't know if I can do that, but if that's what you want, I'm open to that. Yield. Pray, wait, cultivate, and yield. There is no better way to invest your life than to serve in Christ's church-building work. Please pray with me. 
Thank you, Father, for the time in your word. We pray it will be profitable to us, that it will be shaping for this flock. Please help each of us. Have hearts that want what you want, to be the kind of people that you desire, that we would all be learning and living, waiting on you, living each day for you. In Jesus' name, amen.